Hi, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of the Transcript Podcast. You've got me, Scott Chrisloff. I'm editor of the Transcript, along with Eric Mokaya. We sent out a new issue of the newsletter yesterday, and the biggest thing that happened last week was that the Fed met. And while there wasn't any change in policy, and it's been well telegraphed at this point that the Fed is planning to raise interest rates, it still was important as a level-setting meeting for the Federal Reserve to demonstrate a shift in tone around the way that they're, they are thinking about inflation and labor markets and the economy generally. And so we picked up that in the newsletter. Any thoughts on that, Eric? I didn't spend a lot of time with the Fed. I was a bit disappointed that they didn't raise rates. I actually didn't expect that myself, uh, but I think looking at the data later, apparently the probability of them raising a rate in January was pretty low. It's actually higher for now in March. They're guiding for March. Uh, inflation is still running high, of course, when you're reading it from uh, across the companies that are reporting. But the most interesting aspect for me was companies which were saying that they, inflation is not really bad for them because it makes them raise prices and also at the same time the consumer is not that um, price elastic when it comes to them raising prices. So I think that was interesting listening to companies like the uh, Dow, Whirlpool and Visa saying that it's not, they actually are beneficiaries of uh, inflation. So that was pretty interesting for my side. But perhaps you could, you could tell me more about what the Fed is actually thinking, because I, I, I really don't have a clue why they did raise rates this time around, given how heated inflation is and how in the past few weeks, even the Treasury Secretary has acknowledged that inflation is running above their targets. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, even though the Fed is turning to a more hawkish posture, it has a bias towards devishness, even within that hawkishness. So I don't think they want to move too quickly. I think they are concerned about upsetting financial markets. I think they want financial markets to have a very clear vision and perspective on what they are planning to do. I don't think they want to see a crash in financial markets. So I think that's part of the reason why they didn't raise rates in January, but they are planning to, and you know, Two, a few big narrative shifts from the Fed at this meeting, which are really important to point out. One of which is with respect to labor markets. This was the first meeting where I saw the Fed say, we are at maximum employment. We're at maximum employment because this is the maximum amount of employment that we can withstand without stoking additional inflation. So seeing that labor markets are tight, turning to that posture, turning that narrative helps support rising interest rates. So that's, that's kind of where that, that was a big shift. And then another shift was people were asking them how fast you'll raise rates. And Jerome Powell responded, this is a much different economy than it was in 2015 when we were raising rates before. So I think there is some recognition growing at the Fed that the, that the uh, economy is stronger than it was back then, that there's more of a tilt towards inflationary psychology than there was back then. And I think there's genuine concern that inflation expectations could get out of hand from the Fed. So. The challenge though is that I think they say they're going to raise in March and their markets will still throw another tantrum and then perhaps they don't get to raise. I don't, I'm not so sure if they actually do pay attention to the market, especially since January has been a down, a down uh, month for most of the big tech companies. So I don't know if they do pay attention to that or so. Do you think they Yeah. Well, again, it's this posture shift where for markets you've had, they used to call it the Greenspan put, which was if the markets fell, Greenspan was going to buy it up push the markets higher. And that's basically been, it's been the Fed put from 2008 until now, which if there was ever a, a decline in markets, the Fed is going to uh, be there to support them. And it almost feels like we have reached a point now with respect to inflation, where we've gone from a Fed put 
to a Fed call where they've almost sold a call above the market. And if the, if the stock market keeps going up, if activity is getting too hot, you're kind of now bouncing off the ceiling rather than bouncing off the floor. And so as long as that dynamic remains where the burden is on to disprove inflation rather than to, to protect against deflation, it's going to be a more difficult operating environment for financial markets. And to expand on what you were saying, companies saying, you know, inflation isn't a bad thing for us. Yes, it's not a bad thing for operating performance and earnings necessarily. But if the cost of capital goes up and interest rates rise, it's going to be a bad thing for equity values. And so a lot of other big inflationary periods in the 20th century, what you saw was actually earnings were rising a lot, but multiples cratered to the extent that for an investor, for equity values, you ended up having, you know, declining real value of equity. Fascinating. I think for me, one thing that's too doubt is also that inflation is actually Hawaii around the world in some other countries, so just beyond the US, but also wage pressure is also a problem around the world. So it's not just in the US. So if you, for a long time, like if you've been thinking that it's just the US that is experiencing all these wage uh, issues and they have to pay more to get more talent. And that's a consistent uh, question that a lot of the companies are being asked in the earnings calls, like, hey, what are you doing to retain talent, especially given that your competitor is actually paying more to get that talent. And I think that's, that, that was a bit of an eye-opener for me. So I think also the other thing was just a company followed closely Blackstone. They had a spectacular quarter, by the way. They, they raised 150, I think, billion AUM in just Q4. And that's like an entire company or an entire fund for someone else. So they had that much inflows and then they had a spectacular quarter. And one of the things they were asked, the question they were asked was, how, it, how are the private markets responding to these challenges that they're having in public markets this uh, January? And I think they were pretty clear that nothing much has happened. They're still intent on fundraising as usual. Uh, the valuation are still intact. I think the private markets may take a while, I think, for the public markets kind of to influence the private markets as much as they are. So now there's kind of full confidence from the private markets that the things will continue as they are. Uh, I'm not so sure how that would pan out going forward. Yeah. To add to the Blackstone thing, it's interesting. Right now you've seen this decline in public markets and you haven't seen much of an impact to private market valuations in any way so far. And that would be consistent with the bull market. It's also consistent with the bear market here. Uh, that there's like a lagging, a lagging effect. And so I think that fundamental question I'm asking myself, and I think everybody's asking themselves is, are we seeing a kind of phase shift in narrative from this deflationary period that we've been through for a decade into a more prolonged inflationary inflation fighting regime out of the Fed and the federal government and everything. And it, it's really tough to say, but I, I think, you know, the performance of like asset uh, managers like BlackRock or Blackstone or any, any investment manager that's, that's primarily predominantly long is going to have a significant headwind in an inflation fighting environment. And, you know, there are, pl there's plenty of historical precedent over the last hundred years for inflation fighting. There's actually way more historical pre precedent for inflation fighting than there is for deflation fighting. Interesting market stuff, interesting times in the market. So I think one of the other things I also picked up from Blackstone is also the, the focus on logistics real estate. I think I've seen it highlighted, especially this quarter a lot. It's a lot of investment going into this space and even Amazon actually investing in real estate also like becoming a prime buyer of really a lot of real estate and some of the companies are being asked for their, what they're seeing in terms of 
how competitive Amazon is in is in this space. So I think a lot of companies are investing because of the because of the because of the increase in e-commerce. They're trying to place some of their warehouses as close to consumers as possible, and as such, they have to buy a lot of space. So I think there is an opportunity there. I, I think from what I'm seeing, at least in the earnings call so far. Yeah, that's a super interesting dynamic to me because I think it shows that in some very hot areas of the market, like, you know, logistics, real estate warehouses and things like that, it doesn't feel like there's overbuilding still. It doesn't feel like there's like a bubble in the real economy. There's definitely bubbles in the financial economy, though, probably in things like cryptocurrencies and meme stocks and, you know, where the extremes got to. But you don't have like an overbuilding of an asset that just seems like there's no way people will, you know, ever take up that capacity. Like the warehouse stuff, I think that there will be capacity for those distribution centers. But maybe there's other ships that, that aren't as obvious, like office space, like our commercial office tower is going to have, you know, higher and higher vacancies. And are those going to be a source of, of value destruction for investors? That's potentially, potentially the case. Good question. You know, as the economy is shifting, because we're seeing big shifts in the way that people are living their lives, I guess. Uh, and then you could compound that with a big shift in the cost of capital, which is obviously like the biggest lever in the entire economy. Yep. I think maybe something else I may highlight is about, I mean, Big Tech had a spectacular quarter this week. I mean, Apple had their best quarter ever. And I think Microsoft was more more of a cloud-led quarter in terms of growth and development. So I think those kind of companies in terms of big tech, they're doing exceptionally well, despite the supply chain issue. So I think when you look at big tech earnings, you don't even think that they're being affected by supply chains. In fact, the only thing that Apple highlighted that where supply chains are being affecting them is actually the iPad only. Everything else is okay in terms of how they're producing. And of course, the fact that they shifted the, the M1, the, the, the way they produce the, the chips uh, from away from the previous, now they're actually producing them in-house. It helps them a lot because it reduces the space between the, the manufacturer of the chips and where they're actually using them uh, to make their, the components. And of course, the, the other thing, of course, they, they say is the, the is it the iPhone is 15 years old? Can you imagine that? <laughs> <laughs> the transportation device. Also, like looking at that, they say it's 15 years, but they still insist that they want to be the company known for innovation, creating consumers that have hard problems, but they want to create easy solutions to those hard problems. That's how they're going to kind of keep making money at the end of the day. I think the iPhone was basically the biggest technological change of my adult life. And so to think that that was 15 years ago makes me just feel like I'm getting pretty old here. <laughs> yeah, time flies very quickly, I think. But uh, I mean, apart from that, and if you noting that a few companies are, the staffing issues are getting better, I think that's kind of all we had for the week, for the week I would say. Um, yeah. So should we end it there today? I think that's good. All right. Next, see you next week as we continue uh, catching up on the earnings season. And, uh, Thank you for joining us this week. Bye. Thanks, everyone.